0: Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, missionary to Zimbabwe, Africa, sent out of Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. The issue of language learning comes up often on the podcast, and much of today's program is going to center around that topic. But in addition to the acquisition of a foreign spoken language, Today's interview addresses sign language as well. My guest today is missionary BJ Cormier, missionary to the deaf and hearing of the East African country of Kenya. In today's program, Brother Cormier relates his call to foreign missions, including ministry to the deaf, and also relates some of the diverse foreign language exposure that he had that helped to prepare him to learn Swahili and KSL once he made it to Kenya. This is the first part of a two-part interview on deaf missions in Kenya. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation with missionary BJ Cormier. Brother Cormier, not too long ago, I was actually looking over a map that listed some of the least reached people groups around the globe. And one of the things that was surprising to me, it was to see that some of the deaf populations in Africa were near the top of that list. And so, I've been looking forward to having this conversation, if nothing else, because of that interesting um, fact about uh, how little is being done to reach those who are uh, are non-hearing on the continent of Africa. So I want to talk to you today about your ministry among the deaf in particular there in Kenya, but I realize that there's also a backstory. So if you don't mind, brother, would you begin by telling us a little bit about how you became interested in missions and how you became aware of the need among the deaf?
1: thank you, sir, for the opportunity. Um, First of all, how I became interested in missions. When I went to Bible college, I really wasn't certain what God would have me do. In fact, when God called me to Bible college, I had been at another university studying computer programming and was uh, working in another church in the area as the song leader and choir director. Uh, and I'm by no means gifted when it comes to vocal music. But we made a joyful noise to the Lord, and we, I learned a lot through that opportunity that I was given there. When I went to Bible college, though, I wasn't really sure what God would have me to do. I thought maybe I might pursue the interest of music, but it was in my first semester that God began to direct me toward a different path, and that was specifically the path of missions. We were given an assignment in homiletics to prepare a sermon uh, to preach concerning missions. And God used that assignment and, of course, that sermon to speak to my heart and burden me for the need of lost souls. Mm-hmm. At that time, the deaf were not really a consideration. And Kenya really wasn't on my mind either. Uh We were given the assignment in preparation for a Missions Conference, which came at the end of January that year. And so as Missions Conference was coming up, we were encouraged as students, if we did not have a particular place that we knew God had led us to, to be praying about what God might do in our hearts during that conference. And so, granted, I wasn't praying about uh, Kenya or Africa even at that time, but I was interested in finding God's will, though I did have a few suggestions for God. I had (laughs) China or Russia in mind, and the reason was, you know, knowing my personality at the time and how I was, how do I put this, socially challenged. (laughs) uh, I thought God might use me best in a country such as China or Russia where people also can be socially challenged in some ways. (laughs) And so that's what I was praying. But during the missions conference, uh, we were encouraged to meet the missionaries presenting their work. And so it happened that on the Sunday evening, as I was going to uh, where the orchestra practiced, where we met and practiced, I passed by the room where the missionaries had set up their displays and God had told me I need to get in there to meet with them. But of course, I had the excuse, you know, time is time and we have orchestra practice. So by the room I went. Later, practice was over. Now going to the auditorium to prepare for the evening service. Walked by the room and God, again, reminded me of my obligation to go in and meet the missionaries. But like I said, that wasn't exactly my strong suit. So I bypassed the room, went up to the the auditorium balcony where we had the orchestra, set up my instrument and the things that we we're going to be needing for the service, and realized I forgot my Bible. Now, to be in Bible college and to be in service <laughs> without your Bible is not a good thing. Right. So back by the room, I had to go because it was in the practice room. And as I went, God again spoke to me. And again, I said, Lord, I need to get my Bible. So I did, but on the way back, the Lord finally won, and I made my way into the room. There was about 30 tables set up of different missionaries and their ministries, and there was only one missionary in the room at the time. He was standing off to my right, so I went to the left. And (laughs) my goal was to take my time as much as I could before I had to report for orchestra to allow someone else to come into the room and talk to him. And would you know it, Brother Lee, no one else came in that room. (laughs) So by the time I used all my tricks and methods of stalling, I ended up right where he was. He introduced himself and began to tell me about the country of Kenya, where he's a missionary to this day. And the whole time he's talking, I'm thinking, well, you know, that's, that's great for you, and God has you know led you to a place that's right for you, but they, that doesn't sound like where God would use me. He told me about how they were friendly, how they loved to the fellowship and sit around and share uh, the Word of God and different things of that nature. And so I'm thinking, well, that works for him, but not me. So I left the room, rushed to orchestra practice, or orchestra, and then we had the evening service. And that Sunday night, I went down at the invitation, and I asked God to show me his will. And of course, being a good, uh, how would I put this, being a good prayer person, I gave God the answers to my (laughs) prayers. So I said, Lord, you know, I want your will. Russia or China, take your pick. I'm ready to go. (laughs) And nothing came back. Well, And I I neglected to mention this earlier, but the missionary I spoke with at the end of our conversation, he had requested one thing of me. He said, when you're praying this week, just ask God to send someone to Kenya. I thought, no harm in that. So as I was praying that Sunday night, I prayed about Russia and I prayed about China. And as I went to go back to my seat, God said, you forgot something. I said, oh, yes, please send someone to Kenya. Well, Monday was the same. Service, invitation, giving God his option of Russia or China, and being reminded that I was to pray that God would send someone to Kenya. Tuesday and Wednesday, likewise. Thursday night, I went down, and we were past the midway point of the conference, and I was confident that God would give me some direction in that conference. I had peace in my heart that God would guide me. And so... I'm praying about Russia or China, and I told God, I don't care which one you choose, either one's fine with me. And this time there was a little bit of a different answer. God said, I'm not choosing Russia or China, but I'm going to answer your prayer to send someone to Kenya, I'm sending you. <laughs> wow. <laughs> now, I will not claim to have heard a, an audible voice. Sure. But uh, you know when God is speaking to you and when God is guiding you. And I knew as clear as day, that's what God was saying. Well, God and I had to have a three-day understanding about that matter because I could not see how God could use me in Kenya. And obviously, that's what God wanted. So for the next three days, I had no peace. I had no rest in my spirit, had no appetite. God knows how to get your attention. Amen. And sleep was a passing fancy. And after those three days, I finally went down to the altar Sunday night after service and said, all right, Lord, I don't understand it. I really don't think it's a good idea, but if Kenya is where you want me, I'll go. Wow. and the peace Amen. of god that passeth all understanding filled my soul Praise i can't Lord, say i but... understood it but the peace was there yes sir yes so sir. that's how we ended up in kenya
0: so kenya ended up Ken, Your, your your the lord's direction for you in missions was uh, was to kenya but at that time when you surrendered to serve God in Kenya, in that uh, in the course of that missions conference, were you aware of the need for for deaf souls in Kenya? Was that on uh, the radar for you at that time?
1: No, sir. At that time, to be honest, there was no consideration of the deaf in Kenya or anywhere else. Uh, our college did have a deaf missions program. I was not part of it. I was a missions major. And so my focus was to the souls of Kenya, let me put it that way. But there was not really any thought given toward the deaf or the blind or any other special group.
0: Sure. So it, when you when you surrendered to go to Kenya, I'm sure that part of that is a surrender to um acquire the language, which in this case, uh, I'm assuming would be Swahili. So at what stage, at what stage did you become aware of the the deaf in Kenya and did God work and how did God work in your heart about ministering to the deaf in Kenya? That came about,
1: I guess we would say through the introduction of my wife. At the time I surrendered to Kenya, Uh, she and I were not Uh, interested in one another or speaking terms. In fact, I surrendered to Kenya before she came to college. Okay. But when she came, she came as a deaf missions major. Oh, okay. And so later on, once we had started um, courting and developing a relationship, and then we had peace to get married and to go to Kenya as missionaries together, we began to understand how God might use her education in the ministry since she was the trained interpreter and she would also be able to assist in ministry in that way. Well, she was training to be an interpreter. Let me put it that way. She hadn't graduated yet. So that's kind of where our thoughts were as we approached uh, marriage. But even before then, before we started courting, uh, the Lord gave me a room that was a little bit interesting as far as a dorm room goes because we were very eclectic in the language. So I had taken Spanish in high school, but also in Bible college as a missions major. I was required to take four semesters of language since I had, I had Spanish in high school and I had Spanish kids on my bus route. Spanish was an obvious choice. And then I wanted a language I could take simultaneously without confusing it with my Spanish. And so I took Arabic. Oh, wow. One, you write left to right, and the other, you write right to left. Um, Spanish doesn't look too much like my English, and Arabic looks a lot like my handwriting did back then anyway. So I figured they were perfectly good languages for me to use. And so I had taken both those languages in Bible college. And for my room, or my roommates, I should say, one was a missions major to the deaf in Peru. So, of course, we spoke Spanish. And, of course, he knew sign language. Another roommate was from Peru. So, obviously, he spoke Spanish. And we were working to teach him English. And then the Lord moved another roommate in there with us who was deaf, who spoke no Spanish, no Arabic, but did well with English written, of course, and excellent in sign language. Wow. So we had a little bit of a different room. So we had started with a Spanish-speaking room, and when he moved in, of course, the room changed to sign language, American Sign Language. I was now the odd man out, so to speak. (laughs) And, you know, three of the roommates spoke sign language. I did not. Three of the roommates spoke Spanish, but my deaf roommate did not. And so we were a little bit mixed in our language use, but God used that to help get me started learning sign language for myself. Wow. This was even before my wife and I began dating um my roommates and i worked different schedules so my deaf roommate would be in bed by 11 p.m and up at 5 a.m uh the young man from peru would also have an early evening and not quite so early to rise but uh he'd get up you know in time for devotions in the morning the other roommate who was a missionary to the deaf in peru who i relied upon as an interpreter, well, he his work schedule was also into the evening, but he required a pot of coffee to really be of much use as an interpreter. <laughs> and at the time, I was alternating between 8 and 12-hour shifts at my job. And so on many mornings, I would come home at 4 o'clock in the morning, and since I had to be up at 5.30 anyway, I would just lay on the floor in my work clothes expecting to you know wake up take a shower and get ready for the day well that worked fine until my deaf roommate moved in he being deaf and he's he comes from a family of deaf he has one brother who's hearing everyone else is deaf including grandparents wow. so he was fully immersed in a deaf environment deaf culture we all had different chores to do in the room to keep it clean and tidy and his has happened to be vacuuming the floor. So as a diligent student in Bible college, he woke up at five o'clock, promptly uh, took a shower and got ready and set about his chore of vacuuming the floor where <laughs> I happened to be sleeping because I just got home at 4 a.m. And he's deaf. He doesn't know a vacuum cleaner makes noise. Uh I'm asleep on the floor, and I'm very well aware that the vacuum cleaner right beside my head is making a loud noise. But my roommates, who could serve as interpreters, are, how do we put it, incapacitated at the moment. (laughs) So, uh, through a few weeks of trying to write back and forth, and again, we're dealing with not only linguistic challenges, but more of my handwriting at that time of morning and my vision, um, they came to the point where I was thoroughly frustrated with him. And I said, Lord, you're going to have to do something with him. He has to understand this. And the Lord again spoke to me and said, well, he understands your language. Why don't you try learning his? Wow. Maybe you can communicate a little bit better then. So with a busy work schedule and already in the middle of a semester, changing courses was an option, but I borrowed sign language books from my other roommate and began studying on my own. And then every Saturday night that I had off, my deaf roommate and I would meet together and basically we would just talk. He had just become bus captain. And so for him, I was able to offer advice and counsel to him because I had been a bus captain for over a year at the time. And of course, him being deaf and very fluent in ASL and proper ASL, he was able to help me with quite a bit. So we would, when we could, when our schedule was allowed, we'd meet together and we'd sit and talk for an hour or two about any number of topics. But that's how I started learning some sign language, basically just to develop a friendship with my roommate and to be able to speak yeah. with him. That was the summer before my senior year And when my senior year came around, I faced a conundrum. Having transferred from another university, I had all of my courses. So I completed everything I needed to graduate, but I didn't have enough hours. And so I needed some classes to give me hours. Looking through what was offered for the year, ASL 1 and ASL 2 was offered. And so I began taking ASL, uh, one, to further facilitate my communications with my roommate, who had now become a good friend, but also just because I needed the hours. Sure. And it was shortly after that, my wife and I uh, started courting and sign language even played a part in our courtship because we would spend time, you know, fellowshiping and getting to know one another using sign language as well. So all that mm-hmm. is how we started toward that. And then as we get to where, you know, we, we become engaged, we're preparing to um, get married and start deputation. Obviously, you know, we want to have the deaf welcomed in our ministry. My wife has spent, you know, the time learning the ministry. So our thinking was, well, I would be the preacher, the pastor, and she could be the interpreter. I mean, it made sense. And that's kind of how we had things set up, even until my survey trip in January of 2007. In January 2007, I came to Kenya for the first time, came for three weeks on the survey trip. And another missionary who was in Kenya at the time basically arranged everything for me. He was a great help in that. And I was expecting to see, should we say the hearing side? But I had mentioned to him an interest also to see how we might minister to the deaf because of my wife's education. Well, however you want to phrase it, the Lord worked it to where it turned out to be a deaf-focused survey trip. Wow. And so while I did see hearing aspects as well, the Lord really worked it out to where I saw the great need among the deaf. I visited deaf schools and numerous areas in the country where there were deaf, but there were no churches, no Hmm. Bible preaching churches. Let's put it that way. Sure. And through that survey trip, the Lord began working on my heart. And I came to Kenya with the goal of working among the hearing and having a ministry to the deaf to then Going back to the states after my survey trip, with a focus on the deaf. So that's so you, how we changed.
0: So you actually, when when you when you did your deputation, you presented your ministry as going to Kenya largely to do deaf ministry. Is that right?
1: Correct. We started off yeah. presenting to the hearing, but that was only from October of two thousand six to. January of 2007, uh, Boy. starting in February, we changed emphasis.
0: Well, that's a really interesting story. It sure sounds like the Lord kind of hedged you in about this matter. Um, not the, the, the confluence of circumstances there with, <laughs> with the, uh, with the bilingual, uh, uh, missionary evangelist uh, in your in your room, and then the and then the non hearing the, uh, the the that communicated primarily in sign language, and then your courtship with your wife who is studying sign language, and then your survey trip where you were exposed primarily to to deaf needs in Kenya. Uh, very interesting how the Lord uh, made that made that clear to you to to, to pursue this. So. I guess I guess you couldn't have missed it at that point.
1: <laughs> no, sir. It was pretty clear.
0: Yeah. Amen. So you've got you actually had two layers of this. So the the topic of language, uh, a lot of our conversation here is is centered around this language component. And it always comes up seemingly in these conversation in these Great Commission conversations because of its importance to communicating the gospel but when you went to kenya you had this you had this eclectic language exposure spanish arabic of course english asl and then when you went to the field now you're now you're learning swahili so that you can get along in that culture i'm assuming and additionally you're working in ksl kenyan sign language in kenya So um, if you don't mind, walk us through how that works when you made your transition to the foreign field. And now you're learning essentially two languages. And I'm also curious, uh, Brother Cormier, if do, do you feel like in your language acquisition, I'd like for you to walk us through that. But I am curious. Do you feel like your exposure to your earlier exposure to Spanish and Arabic, if that helped you? Just in terms of um, in terms of language learning, did that do you feel like that was an advantage to you when you went to transition to a foreign field and learn a foreign language for the sake of ministry and communicating the gospel in the context of missions?
1: Yes, sir. Let me start with the the benefit of having previous exposure to languages. Uh, It has been proven scientifically and by linguistics uh, professors and uh, scholars that the more exposure you have to a variety of languages and specifically learning those languages it becomes easier to assimilate other languages and when you think just for instance if you think back to the translators of the king james bible many of those men spoke at least five languages fluently Several were ten and more languages, and it was easier for them every time they added another language. So, for you know, for me, it was a great asset. Uh, Spanish was a benefit, of course, in ministry where I was in Bible college, but it also was an asset in familiarizing me to learn to think and work in a different language. Arabic was a twofold blessing. One, our professor was a former military veteran, Air Force veteran, whose MOS had been to be stationed in the back of an airplane flying over the Middle East, intercepting, interpreting, and transmitting uh, Arabic messages. So he had been trained and San Diego at the military's linguistic school there. He sought to not have us be conversational necessarily in Arabic, but he sought to use the Arabic language as a means to teach us how to learn any language. So our major focus wasn't on Arabic itself, though we did learn some basic Arabic. It was more to help us to know how to discipline ourselves and how to work and learn another language. Uh, the second benefit of Arabic was that Swahili has a lot of Arabic-derived words, hmm. so a fair portion of the Swahili language is Arabic, and so that helps as well because you know it sounds familiar to our ears already, and it's something that we are familiar with. So we come hmm. to Kenya with you know that background. My wife also took Arabic in Bible college along with ASL. And so we come to Kenya with that background. And yes, it was a great help that we had learned the, the different languages, the different pronunciations and reading different written scripts and such. Uh, there was a little bit of a challenge initially. So we came in August of 2010. Our prayer was to be in language school within three weeks to a month of arriving. And the Lord blessed. We were able to obtain a good teacher and begin studying three weeks after our arrival. Uh, not everything was you know, easy necessarily because you are dealing with a different language. So we had a lot of vocabulary study. We had a lot of practice day in and day out. So we had a teacher come to our house and teach us three hours every day, Monday through Friday. He would also assign us about two to three hours of homework every day. And we also had vocabulary review and such. Our landlord, who lived in the same compound as we did, Uh, was from the coastal region, spoke in, or should I say, speaks very excellent Swahili. She was also very determined to see us succeed. So she was a great help and providing us a practice partner of a native speaker. Uh, There was one challenge for me, not so much my wife, but for me, For the first month, my language teacher would speak to me in Swahili. I would understand what he was saying, but I would respond in Spanish. (laughs) Of course, he doesn't know Spanish. So he would look at me, and then he would just shake his head, and I would have to stop and rethink everything and respond again now in Swahili. It was about a month for me to get past that completely. It got better after two weeks, but it was a struggle for a while. Yeah. So we took Swahili instruction with him for about six months. Our instruction time was about four and a half months total of of daily instruction. but then we had of course the uh, you know holidays, sick days, days that we had to go to government offices for paperwork and those type of things. But overall, it was about six month time period.
0: Wow. So you, you were able to you were able to acquire swahili in those in that in that six month period.
1: Well well let's put it this way I was able to get a foundation. Yeah uh, sure. the Lord provided some opportunities to build upon that foundation, which really set my wife and I apart in language. So three weeks into language studies. I began working with a church plant uh, about thirty minutes from where we were, where we were living, and we would go out there to the community, of course, to share the gospel. And my goal was to go and be a listener. However, the the man who is now is my assistant pastor, church planting in the western part of Kenya. His goal was to see me succeed, and so he would take care of the initial introductions because there are cultural expectations there he would navigate those for us and then basically he threw me in the deep end (laughs) because we had we had agreed before we ever reached the first door uh, you're talking and i'm listening and learning and praying that lasted all of about 10 minutes and he said okay now pastor is going to speak to you about this matter and i'm like no, that's not what the agreement was, but he explained <laughs> later when we left that culturally, the one who comes from the farthest is expected to speak. It's an honor, and wow. so you okay. you honor the one who comes from the farthest. And since I obviously wasn't Kenyan, uh, I was expected to speak.
0: So, Brother Cormier, what is the um when you when you relocated to kenya and and even still is there a significant presence of english in the country given the given the, the colonial history there yes and no so there's a uh, one of the uh, one of the temptations i guess in a in in that part of the world is to is to uh focus one's efforts on dealing with with those who have the language, that have English. But that's, even for the English speakers in Kenya, that's probably not, at least for national Kenyans, that's not the language that they speak at home, and it wouldn't be the language that they think in and say pray in. So um, if you can communicate in their, as we say sometimes, in their heart language, seems like it would be a, uh, a more effective, potentially more effective spiritual conversation if you can get on that, uh, communicate on that level. But I, I suppose it's uh, at times there's a temptation that it seems like the English c- can can present a, a shortcut for foreign workers sometimes in those sorts of contexts.
1: It can. And uh, for us in Kenya, it really depends on where you're at. So, we, are, we were in Nairobi when we came, and we're still in the Nairobi area even now. So, we're dealing with several facets. One, a lot of the people who have grown up in Nairobi are stronger in English than Swahili in conversation. And I want to emphasize yeah. that, in conversation. Um, so they'll be stronger with just basic day-to-day conversation. And that is sometimes the reason why you'll hear people say, well, you know, you can get by with English because in many settings you could at the restaurant, at the bank, at the supermarket, you can, you can. There are some challenges, though, that we we must be honest about. One, Kenyan English is not South Louisiana English. <laughs> yeah, or kidding. Oklahoma English, where I was for Bible <laughs> college, or right. any of the other states I visited on deputation. Uh, none of those Englishes are Kenyan English. And... We're dealing with different pronunciations. We are dealing with different word choice. You know, something as simple as going to the gas station, or as they call it here, the petrol station, that highlights one difference already. Are you using gas? Or are you using petrol? Uh, do you do you open the bonnet or do you open the hood? You know, right. do you do you get your spare tire out of the boot or is it in your trunk? Those type of conversations can all sure. be a challenge because of different vocabulary, different pronunciation. Another challenge is, and this one relates, is it's different for different people. So I don't want to make a blanket statement. Some missionaries have done very well acclimating to using English in ministry in the country. Some. I'm not one of them. Um, part of it is my vocabulary in English, my word choices reflect a different style of writing and reading. So just you know, short, some of my favorite books to read growing up were Charles Dickens and those genres in that time period. So my English wasn't common English of today. That makes my preaching in English also difficult for people who are not familiar with me. Sure. other missionaries have done well able being able to simplify their the vocabulary and their word choices and to adopt the English pronunciations used here so my wife, my son they can do a pretty good impression of a Kenyan in English sometimes sure i've I've never. I adapted that skill, though I've never purposed to either. I've always had the mindset, no, I I will speak Swahili or I'll speak English. If English is a problem, I will use Swahili. I'll keep my English for its purposes and I'll keep my Swahili for its purposes. So that has worked well for me. Uh, It does backfire sometimes, but it does help So there's that issue as well, but there's also now what happens in the mind. And this is where a lot of people don't consider the the consequences. Even when Kenyans write in English, it's not hard to detect what language they're thinking in. Because what they're writing in or what they're speaking in is not necessarily the language they're thinking in. Wow. And that leads to a lot of confusion sometimes. Uh, For instance, I've had students write reports, and they'll be speaking of a man, but they refer to the man as a she. And before we think that they have gone woke and all these other (laughs) terms used over there for the craziness that's taking place, it's not that. It's that in Swahili, we don't have he and she. We have them. They're
0: gender neutral. Or we have
1: a singular gender neutral. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have that distinguish distinguishing uh, word and in many tribal languages, they don't have it either. Hmm. So those are some things that you deal with. It becomes even more obvious and more hilarious when you're trying to communicate with the deaf in written form of English. So if you take a person who's not around the deaf much, they don't know any sign language, when they see a deaf text message or a text message from a deaf, I should say, um, their expression is quite hilarious <laughs> because they make they can't make anything out of it. What, what does this mean? Why? And so, you know, I look at the message and I translate it for them. This is what they're saying. Well, how do you know? Because I know the way they're thinking. You have to understand uh-huh. what they're thinking in. Sure. So that is sure. some of the limitations of using solely English. But that's only in Nairobi. When you leave Nairobi now, especially in the more rural areas, the amount of English that is understood well declines rapidly. Right. And also their exposure to foreigners using English also declines rapidly. So you have less exposure on their part, less comprehension on their part, It just makes things much more difficult. Uh, One thing our language teacher stressed and emphasized to us, he said, if you learn Swahili, which is used throughout the country, if you learn to use it well, he said, you'll never have a place or time that you're not able to communicate with people, get help if needed, be a help if desired, those type things. And his words have proven true over these last 10 years. Um, I've traveled throughout the country, many rural areas. And yeah, I've never been in a situation where I was linguistically confined. Wow. Um, the few examples are if I'm dealing with someone who's quite a bit older and doesn't know any Swahili. Hmm. They're only... Um, How do I put it? They're only conversant in their tribal language. Sure. Well, that's even been rare.
0: Well, that's a pretty, that's a, that's, that's quite a testimony to the, to the importance of language acquisition in, in missions. And, and in this case, when the local trade language, when the tribal tongue that is predominant in that field in, in relation to Africa in any way, uh, when it is not learned, it's going to be very, very restrictive in terms of ministry and movement, and uh, the, the places where you can communicate effectively. You even had uh, an an additional layer there with the sign language piece because the sign language um, that uh, is is utilized in Kenya is not precisely the same thing as as American sign language, so. How did that figure into your language acquisition? What, what are the differences between the American Sign Language that you, that you learned stateside in college and the Kenyan Sign Language that you had to acquire uh, in order to do deaf ministry uh, on the field there? We'll stop there for now. And in the second part of the interview, Brother Cormier will walk us through the answer to that question at length along with telling us the fascinating story of how his local church ministry to the deaf really began with the help of a young deaf Muslim man. Thanks for tuning in for today's conversation with missionary B.J. Cormier. I hope you'll join us next time for the conclusion to the interview. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I always welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in the regions beyond.